song you never heard of. Hey everybody, welcome to the Common Folk Podcast with Ben, Morgan, and Andy. What's up everybody? Welcome we, to Common Folk. We're back. We're back at it. We are back at it. Normally you're the one that's cracking these, so that was mine. That was yours? I couldn't wait. Number two. I couldn't wait. I had to crack mine. I had to get it open. All <laughs> weekend. I don't know that we've stopped. It's been a long weekend. Oof. And we had, we had Burgett. Oh, yeah, no. we had Burgett down here this weekend. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Had his concert last night. So much fun, you guys. Thanks for inviting us and letting us Oh, I'm glad you guys that came. Was, that was great. That opening music right there, that was from him. He, o- he opened the concert with that song. He did. Yes, yeah. he did. Yep. Yeah. He's sure. a good one. Love his wife. She's great. Yep. Yeah, Amy. Good folks. And their friend. Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. She's hilarious. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Good folks. Yeah. So we, as a podcast, we've been busy the last few days. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've had this particular one uh, planned for a while. The idea of the podcast has been in the back of my mind for... I don't know. At a least, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I, for folks who have been listening to us, they may remember my dad uh, is a retired police officer. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to my dad about um, a couple of different things and ideas that I have and stuff that I wanted to talk about on the podcast and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give people exposure to and so on and so forth. And my dad made a suggestion that I don't know why I didn't think <laughs> about uh and and that got us to where we are today, um, but this is most likely going to end up in a couple of parts. Um, so I don't know that we'll have like a hard stop necessarily, but there'll be mm-hmm. two two pieces to this particular episode. Um, but goal number one is that I wanted to talk to, and then I think we're going to do this with a few police officers. I want to talk to to police officers about just who they are, where they came from, why they do what they do. Yeah. Um, it's this whole humanizing the badge idea. Okay. Um, I grew up in it, so it's not, it's not right. anything new to me, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm constantly surprised by the thoughts and feelings that people have about police officers mm. and the fact that they forget that these are, they're real people, regular people. Yeah. There's a person yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do that with sports heroes too, you know. For we sure, just forget yep. about like, yeah, it's that guy dad passes away and then he has a bad game and we just torture him, you know. Yeah, yeah. How could he only score twenty points? You know. Yeah. Jesus, dad just died. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So this one is a little unique, um, and we're going to get into the reasons why. Um, it's not just some guy that we just met. That uh, some guy that pulled you over or anything, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> that, that we want to hear. Hey, you want to be yeah, on our podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that might happen. I mean, if I get pulled over, I'll, I'll ask him. Oh my god! You know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a lot more going on here. We're going to get into it. But uh, to begin with, um, I'd like to introduce uh, a friend of mine, and we're we're going to get into the 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 background and all the kinds of things. But Howard Banks. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm, I think I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah, 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 for sure. Have 100%. you done anything like this before? I've done a bunch of interviews. Okay. But never Podcast. anything like this. No. All right. Okay. Yeah, so as a, as a police officer, you probably have a fair <clears throat> amount of interaction with the uh, the press. And that's probably what you're referring to, like, yeah. as far as interviews go and things like that. Correct. I'm in charge of the media 
Okay. So, yeah, I deal yep. with the press daily, and, yep, yep they want interviews at times, so. Yeah. Yep. And do you know, you you know more about the department than me, but um, from what I remember as a kid, I think my dad held that role. I don't know if you've ever heard that or, or if you see any of the old the old stories. Your dad was on TV a lot. He was he was always on TV. He Sorry. was the guy that was. But was that a role? Like was that a yeah? A I mean, spot that, then? And that's what Howard's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but I know now. But I'm just saying, like back then, not that it was hundred years ago or anything. We're not talking about like, your dad just retired. You know what? Twenty years ago. Uh, no, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it doesn't. It wasn't twenty years ago, but yeah. Okay, but you know what I mean. I, can't, I, can't I just remember. didn't know if it was like a new. 10. 15. No, it's nothing okay. new. Typically, somebody's assigned to that. Okay. Because there is certain stuff that you want to release, <clears throat> um, st- stuff that you can't release, but there's also people within the police department that you probably do not want in front of the camera. Yeah. Okay. Um, because you don't trust what they're going to say. So, okay. yep, you typically yeah. pick either one or a few people to do it. And it's like anything else. I mean, everybody has what they're good at. And, you know, you need officers that are doing whatever it is that they're good at, but that doesn't mean they're good at public speaking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure the, you know, it's up to leadership to figure out, like, with any job. I mean, again, this is what we're talking about. Like, this isn't just the police department. This is corporate America as well. Mm -hmm. With any job, the leadership is going to select who has the best skills for what particular job. Correct. Yep. They try, and honestly, I wouldn't even say I'm great at public speaking or really any good. Um, it just, the job that I do now, it falls underneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, I at least know what I can and can't say, and I'm open to working with the media and being transparent and whatnot, so I make do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, to give a little bit more context, um, let's, let's get into uh, how you grew up. Um, you know, talk about your family a little bit. This is these these are the things that I want people to understand, and then we'll kind of get to the point where, you know, we met each other and, and our paths started crossing, and and then kind of where we are today. So, let's start with um, where you were born and how that looked for you as you started growing up. Okay, so I was born in Trenton, New Jersey, um, which if people aren't familiar with Trenton. Not the best place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of poverty, a lot of crime. Um, so between living in Trenton, New Jersey, and then also lived in Philadelphia for a period of time, um, grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so growing up, honestly, when you grow up one way, you really don't know different unless you see different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was some stuff that we just thought was normal and okay. Um <clears throat> So growing up, I know when we get into why I wanted to become a police officer, I never really had a ton of positive interactions with police. Okay. Um, in places like that, police are dealing with crime and other stuff. So it's not like we were in a bunch of doing a bunch of activities where police would come and it was in a positive light. So we never really seen much of it. Typically, if we seen the police, it was because they were dealing with something negative, either arresting mm-hmm. somebody or breaking up something or or something like that so coming from an environment like that i think culturally we just didn't care for police because we always thought they were just there to address something negatively Um, and then plus a lot of my family members either drugs um, or in jail Mm -hmm. so 
you don't hear too many good stories when it comes to that because typically people are in jail are saying hey you know uh either i was set up or and that's not everybody mm, yeah some people they own up to what they've done wrong but there's others that feel like nope the police did this and and whatever so that was a lot of what i've seen so what you're saying is that as a kid you would you would see family members friends neighbors whatever being arrested for different things or or you know whatever might be going on and then the feedback that you're getting you're you're not talking to the police officer you're talking to the individual who had um, had the interaction with the police officer after the fact, and, and they're kind of passing the blame, and, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, they're coming after me, and th- and that's kind of what shaped your view a little bit, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Oh. And then also, yeah, like I said, just never seeing them in really a good light. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't mm-hmm. out playing games and, mm-hmm. and stuff with police, so, <clears throat> yeah, just, thankfully, I had a strong mother. Um, because we went through some stuff as kids. Again, mm-hmm. growing up in poverty, um, it sucks. And seeing other people in better situations than you, and then, yeah, there are times where you wish, like, okay, why couldn't that be me? Why couldn't that be, sure. you know, the family that I was born into? Mm-hmm. But um, I just really appreciated my mother because none of us are perfect. And especially us that are parents, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we could say easily we'd go back and do things different. But um, I've told my mom before I would never change anything about our life growing up because that is what made me who I am. Yeah. And um, it toughened us up. And so growing up, um, my mother was on us about, hey, I don't care what environment you grow up in. You don't have to be that way. And you won't be that way. Mm-hmm. And mm. she'd tear us up in a heartbeat if we did something wrong and whatnot, and she was going to correct us. And she was determined that she wasn't going to to let us be a certain type of way and be another statistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that brings up a, a couple of quick questions for me. Um, first of all, um, you are a black male. Okay? Yes. And the, the the neighborhood that you grew up in, is that the way it was? It, was that most of the demographic? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and what makes me curious when you talk about the police interactions and stuff like that, um, because a lot of people are talking about this stuff. So you know, what's the story? Was were the police mostly white, or was there a mix, or how was that set up? Do you remember? Or was I, that even a thing? We talk about kids remembering or even. Yeah. I really can't recall yeah. specifically, but um, it wasn't a thing that really stuck out to me mm-hmm. because when you look at stuff that's common, it is more common for white males to be police officers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty sure I saw black police officers because coming from that area, then you're going to have people of color who are cops just because there are more people of color in that in the area. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very common just to see white officers in the area. Um, and that, that's the perspective that, I, that, I've, that I'm curious about because the point that Morgan made, we talk about that, you know, kids, it, it seems like kids don't really see color. They don't. You know what I mean? And especially kids, you know, today. Or at least our and kids. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just mm-hmm. like – yeah, you know, that's my buddy or whatever. So I, I'm curious, you know, in the mind of 
a young boy, you know, your age then in Trenton, were you seeing any of that or was any of that being pushed on you at all, you know, of like, oh, yeah, you know, these guys or whatever. And if not, then not. Cool. It's just that I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious on how that played out. It, it wasn't being pushed on me. And when we talk about what's common and uncommon, it was common for to see white white males mm-hmm. as cops because mm-hmm. it was common all around the country. Mm-hmm. But as far as the area I grew up in, just seeing white people in general mm-hmm. out and about doing stuff, that was uncommon. Okay. It's mm. just like interracial dating was uncommon. Yep. Yeah. Um, even though we seen it, it was still uncommon in, in that area. Yep. And I really didn't see a ton of that until and to where at least I can say I start noticing it until I got here to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. That's when it really mm-hmm. became like, oh, my goodness. Like, OK, you have white yeah. people dating black people. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we'll definitely get into that. So I think that kind of puts a lid on that. And that's it's an it's an interesting point of that that the race thing with police officers in the neighborhood and things like that wasn't really a thing where you came up. Probably because I was so young. Yeah. But yeah. to older people, it may it have might been. have been. Yeah. Because you are our age. Correct. 41. Yep. So just giving people perspective, yeah. you know. So yeah. that was, that would have been. Uh, 90s. Late 80s. Or, yeah. 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 Late, late 80s. 80s. Yeah. Yep. So. Um, and then you moved out of there. <clears throat> Well, let's hold on just a second. So I was just trying to figure out age-wise. At that point there, you mentioned your family a few times and your siblings and things like that. So um, what was your family unit like? What did you have for brothers, sisters, and, and how was your family set up? So I have a brother that's two years older than me. Mm-hmm. So it was just my mother, me, my brother, my biological father. I had never met him. Mm-hmm. So he left prior to me being born. Um which, when you speak of being a black male in that environment, mm-hmm. it is more common for right, sure. kids in that environment for their dad not to be there. Mm-hmm. And statistically, if you don't have a dad involved, then statistics out there show that there's more of a chance for um, you to have a kid to go down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was fortunate enough that I had my mother was strong enough that she played the role of both mom and dad. Now, my, with my biological father leaving, I did have a stepfather that came into my life. Um, and he's great, and I owe him a lot of credit, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll tell him in a heartbeat, he's my, he's my real father because yeah. he's the yeah. one that was there. Um, so he also played a huge part in keeping us on the right track and – my mother was the disciplinarian, and he was more the <laughs> the fun one. The fun one. And, yeah. That's what dads do. He yeah. loved that role. I bet. Like, yes. Dang. Sometimes I'm like, can you like do something over here than just be fun? Yeah. Like, yeah. I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. And what what age did he come into your life? Uh, pretty early. Um, I believe I was only a few months old when he oh. came into oh, my wow. life. Very early. So yeah. you only knew him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so him and my mother. I think there was some time periods, kind of. Off and on, but mm-hmm. he's he's been there my entire life. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So that's what I was wondering. That's kind of the initial story that I was looking for. Um, I thought he was going to say, if you can't beat him, join him. I thought that's where you're going with that story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Being a police yeah. officer. <laughs> yeah. So from uh, from Trenton, what? So what? What happened next? What What made your guys's next change? So. My mom's sister 
she actually was married to uh, somebody in the military. Okay. So she moved to Nebraska, and this is actually earlier before I met you. Okay. Um, so we moved to Nebraska for a short period of time with my stepdad, and then we actually moved back to the East Coast. Okay. And so moving back to the East Coast, we stayed in Maryland for a little bit, but we were evicted basically out of every place we've ever lived in, all the way up until I was 18 years old, So, which caused us to move so much. Mm-hmm. So when we were in Maryland, we were getting evicted again, and then we moved back to Nebraska, which was actually was in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And But I was old enough to kind of comprehend, more, comprehend stuff mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. So when we moved back to Nebraska, we moved to North Omaha. Okay. And I'm like, oh, shoot, we're right back around my same type of environment I just left from. And so went to school up north. And then the middle of my fifth grade year is when we moved to Bellevue. My mom, parents were determined to get us out out of that environment completely. Um, And I appreciate Mm -hmm. them for it so much because they wanted to give us an opportunity, Mm -hmm. a better opportunity they felt to be successful in life. So that's when when we moved to Bellevue. Um, went to elementary school, and that's yep. where you and I met yep. and um, met a bunch of our other mutual friends and yep. whatnot, or at least people that we remember back from back in the day that we were acquaintances with. Right? Can um, I ask yeah. when you guys were getting evicted? Were your was your mom being real and raw, like, "Hey, we got kicked out," or was it like, "Hey, we got to go somewhere else"? Do you remember that and like comprehending when you think about why you guys had to leave or? Uh, I wouldn't say they were hiding it, but I wouldn't say that they were flat out being real. Yeah. We knew stuff. Um, it was just hard to pay bills. There was times where we would yeah. see eviction notices. Okay. I remember even in Maryland, there was one time where, you know, my parents tried their <clears throat> tried to do for us. My parents loved us a mm-hmm. lot. They were very supportive at everything, sporting events, everything we did. Um, we would do a lot of family stuff uh, between family dinners, movies, eating, I mean, bowling. We'd do a ton of stuff together. Um, there was there was one time where, I believe for Christmas, they had bought us bedroom sets. Oh, and okay. so we had the stuff for a while, bedroom sets. Um, we had new couches and whatnot. And then one day we got home from school and all of that stuff was gone. Oh, mm. And come to find out that it had been repossessed. Um, okay. And so from a young age, we had to deal with so much that there wasn't really time to sit around and and say, oh, why'd this happen to me? Or, hey, we don't have a bunch of food in the house, you know, poor us. And it was just, no, it's just, okay, this happened. And then you move on. Move on. So we come home from school. We see the furniture gone. And next. like Okay. Yeah. On like, to the next right. thing. We uh-huh. go out, play. Hey, we don't have food. Okay. What do we have in the cupboard? We got chips, bread, and okay, we yeah. do with what we got. Yeah. So we learned at a young age to 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 grind and just not be so focused on, hey, I don't have this. Hey, poor me. It was like, mm-hmm. no, we just got to keep going. This is life. Um, it kind of was the norm for us, which it made us who we are today because – It's kind of a blessing and a curse because like you mentioned a little earlier when we were talking as far as about being sensitive. Yeah. I'm not very sensitive, which comes from the job, which I know we'll get to, Mm -hmm. but also just because the way I was brought up in life, 
You ain't um, got time for that. Yeah, we Just, don't have time for yeah, that. Yeah, let's go. As a family, we worked hard. It was, okay, hey, my dad was in construction, and he's great at it. And so it was my brother and I, we were working with him. Mm-hmm. And we'd play sports, and then it was, okay, hey, you might be tired, but no, we still need to go as a family Dad needs help. That way we can help make money. And so we just didn't have time to sit around and be sensitive saying, poor me. It was like, yeah. no, let's go. With with all those evictions and moving around a lot, did you start to develop this feeling that poverty is just a part of our life? Like it's following us. It doesn't matter if we're in Nebraska, Philadelphia, New Jersey. It's just that's the way it is. That's the way it is for us. Yeah. And, you know, decision making by mm. my parents and – People can look at this a few ways, and I talk to kids about this all the time that go through stuff. Everyone has a story. So whether mine is poverty and all the stuff I've been through, somebody else that may not have been in poverty, but they have other adversities that they had to face Mm -hmm. and and fight through. Um, So some people will be in a situation and they'll just – be a victim of it and say, hey, this is me. This is just Mm kind of what my life is destined to be. Mm -hmm. My brother and I weren't that way. You know, um, we looked at everything that my parents did, good and bad, and Mm -hmm. we learned from it. And we were determined that we don't want this. And so as my brother and I got older, you know, you go through a period with your sibling where you fight and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And we really got close probably after high school. And we start telling each other, when we, especially when we got off the phone, break the mold. We wanted to be the ones to break the mold of our family hmm. and to where we started a whole new generation of we don't have to be rich, but we at least want our families to be in a good place to where they're not wanting for food or worrying about a place to live, those type things. So we always told each other, break the mold, and, and we always supported each other and tried to push each other to, to be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. So uh, based on those things that you said there and from the timeline, we're, we're at fifth grade. You move back to Nebraska. Um, we meet. That's where I want to kind of get into some of the next mm-hmm. things. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump into the next topic. This episode is brought to you by a company near and dear to our hearts, Farm Focused. Farmfocused.com, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. It's the number one provider of branded merchandise for the top brands in agriculture. Folks like Millennial Farmer, Welker Farms, Larson Farms, Cafed, so many more. Again, check it out, farmfocused.com. Being Farm Focused is a way of life. It's a brand you can be proud to be part of. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back with Howard. So picking up where we left off, um, your family moves to Nebraska. And uh, as you said, you had been to Nebraska and then went back out and now you're back to Nebraska and you probably didn't know it at the time, but it was, it was permanently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Bellevue. And, yeah. And, and, and so, well, then you guys, you guys moved from North Omaha to Bellevue. And that's where I want to pick up is when you get into Bellevue. So it's, we're in fifth grade, I don't know, halfway through fifth grade or something. Is that the way you remember it? Yep. Halfway through fifth grade, um, probably just like anybody else going into a new school, mm-hmm. don't know anybody. And, and mid-semester, like halfway yep. through, dang, that's even harder. Yeah, nervous. And a huge a huge change from, like you said, from the environment that you had been 
living in and growing up in. And it was, you know, your parents' choice that said, hey, we need to get out of this environment. We need to get in something that's going to be better for the kids, I think, is what mm-hmm. kind of the way I'm, I'm interpreting what you're saying. And Bellevue was that. Correct. Bellevue was that. So moving to an area where it's majority white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You still you feel like an outcast. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you go into an environment like that, then typically you're going to search for people that look like you. Mm-hmm. Because even though it's not necessarily true, because you can have a white, black person, Hispanic person that, you know, come from the same environment and they may click. Mm-hmm. But initially just looking at somebody, typically people will base their stuff off of that where they're like, oh, hey, I'm black. So I'm probably going to have something in common with the other black kids around here. So mm-hmm. typically that's what you search for. Um, I think what made it easier for me was sports yeah, and me liking sports. And so getting to fifth grade and I know, I don't know where you, how you were um, eventually, but I mean now, but back in the day when I first met you, you were a really good athlete. And he still is. I'm all right. So between playing basketball or, you know, football out Mm -hmm. at elementary school or Mm -hmm. even the little races that we would have for PE or whatever, you click that way. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. some other friends that we could name um, or acquaintances, I think that was kind of what brought us together was the fact that we were all decent athletes in school. Yep. Yep. For sure. So we were the way that I remember it just for people to, you know, to kind of paint this picture for people. Um, where where we are sitting here today recording is where I lived, which is a ways from Bellevue. Um, but my father was a Bellevue police officer. So I had a sister two years younger than me. I have a sister two years younger than me. And uh, my dad took her and I up to school every day. Now my grandparents, my mom's parents, lived in the same neighborhood that you guys moved to. And I spent a lot of time at their house. Uh, it was right up the hill from the elementary school. Mm-hmm. So I would get dropped off there in the morning. I could walk to school. I could walk home. I could do my homework there. Those were the kids that I spent a lot of time with. And you were one of those kids. So for people to kind of understand that picture, we were we were in this neighborhood where my grandparents lived. Around the corner in another house was a good buddy of ours named Jeremiah, who we had met Um he he actually was a transplant as well. Um, I think they came. They might have came from New York. Um, and then you guys were essentially in the same neighborhood, but over in the apartments. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there was a few kids over there as well. And so we all kind of knew each other, obviously from school. But then we were out there on the block, like you said, playing football, playing basketball all kinds of street ball games, all the different things that we were doing, whatever the whatever the crazy stupid things the kids were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um but that's that's the that's that's the story uh for folks to understand. So um what was that like for you where you lived and what your day to day was like and the interactions that you had with, with kids in the neighborhood like myself and Jeremiah? Um, you know, what do you remember about that? So I just remember it was great because with the differences in race or upbringing or the different economical status, that didn't play a role in our friendship. Mm -hmm. When we went out and played football, it was just kids out in the street having or 
on the side of Jeremiah's house or right. wherever, right. we would just go have fun. Mm-hmm. And it would be for a long time. We'd play football and then go home. And um, you guys never made me feel any different or out of place or like, hey, we don't want to be around him because he doesn't have this or or whatever. And then we had one of my best friends that was also kind of in our group, Adrian, yep. 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 Um, who we've talked about, who actually is currently in jail. And we've still been friends for all these years. But um, you could kind of see it that people may in our group may be involved in different things. But when we came together and just played, that's all it was, was just playing. Mm-hmm. And it felt great. Stuff like that was an outlet. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying there was it was every day that we didn't have food. But if Adrian was sitting here now, he'd tell you, because we lived right next across from each other in the apartments, that it was we would be at whoever's house had food. So if we didn't, then I'd be at his house. If he didn't have food, then he'd try to come over my house. Um, and so we knew you guys didn't know any of that stuff because yeah. it wasn't like we just went around and, oh, hey, I'm getting ready to go home. I don't have food to eat. So you guys were an outlet for us. Because we would just come outside and we would spend however many hours just playing. And then we were away from home. And then we get home and whatever food we can find, we eat. And then from there, it was just we go to sleep, wake up again the next day and do it all over. Get back at it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Are you crying? A little bit. (laughs) Oh, you're going to make me cry. Yeah. No, we were just talking about being sensitive. Everybody has a story, man. And. Uh, everyone deals with it differently, and yeah. for that to be your outlet, that had to be a really good thing. You know, you had to feel good yeah. about that, you know. Um, but you weren't always going over to Ben's and stealing his fruit snacks or anything? No. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I've been all over yeah. there. So <laughs> we never – none of either Ben's grandparents, um, especially and eventually I got to know his dad – um, and even Jeremiah's parents, who I got to know really well, and yeah. mm-hmm. um, even as I've gotten become an adult, they never shunned us or said, hey, you know, you're not allowed in my house right, or anything right, like that. Yeah. But yeah. we just were outside playing and yeah. and whatnot. So, it, yeah, we never were really in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying we never went in, but it just... Now it would probably be more common because kids are in playing video games. Sure. Back yeah. then it really yeah, yeah. wasn't. As that wasn't the deal. Big of a deal. Yeah, it was more street ball, <clears throat> basketball, kickball, whatever. Yeah, no whatever. one had the phones. Yeah. The, yeah. I remember our whole neighborhood would play kick the can or something like that. You know, when we were really little. Yeah. It would just be the entire neighborhood. Boys, girls, all of it. That was just a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 And you just didn't know any better. You just went and had nope. fun. <laughs> I love and then that. you just never know who's going to play a role in your life. And coming in where you feel like an outcast mm-hmm. um, the more that people can show they accept you the better and it would be no different let's say where if you're in a, a majority black community and you have a white kid come in that that white kid may feel out of place yeah and so vice versa i would say on the flip side it needs to be the people who are in majority to pull that person aside and take them in to show them that they're included. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt like would happen to me. And my friend Adrian, he was more of out there in the street doing stuff that he shouldn't. But again, we just played and had fun. And when he started doing that stuff, I just completely separated myself. 
Because you knew you didn't want to do that or you knew, well, one, that probably, but your mom would no, not allow that. She wasn't having it. Yeah. No. Right. Um, yeah. Well, that was, hey, kinda, was that a starting point for you and your brother? Like, this is what we want. This is what we want, you know, to be part of a community like this. And to, or, or like, when did you, you mentioned that earlier? When did that like light bulb go off for you and your brother? You know, that probably didn't happen until later, probably like, towards the end of high school. Okay. Then. Okay. Yeah. At that early of an age, it was. You're just having fun. It's, you're enjoying it, right? Yep. Just have it. I was still in the middle of, hey, I still wanted to do this some stuff because impressionable as a young youth and I want to be around my friends and they thought it was cool. So, okay, mm-hmm. do I need to be doing this? But there was some other stuff where I'm just like, I'm not doing. Yeah. And also, yeah, my mom wasn't having it. And I knew she would have beat the mess out of me. And then plus, <laughs> and I tell kids this to use, if they don't know how to say no, use your parents as the reason. Oh, I tell my son, our, our kids this all the time. Yeah. Just always say your mom says no. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't care. Blame me. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. what you're saying? Absolutely. I'm like, oh, I always but, say that. Back then it was true. Okay. And because. It was true. Like you blamed your mom. My mom would have beat the mess out of me, <laughs> but also my friends. Oh, shit. And so by me being able to say no, like, hey, I'm not doing this. You uh-huh. know, my mom's going to tear me up and you. They're like, yeah, oh. you're right. We know. And so <laughs> we're not we're not going there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think you ever had those fleeting moments that you were like, "Ooh, I wish I was back in Detroit or back in North Omaha. Like not Detroit. They were or, in I'm sorry. Trenton. Trenton sorry. Yeah. Um, do you remember that no. ever thinking? No. Absolutely so when not. you were. OK, perfect. So when you were in Bellevue, you did feel so welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I felt good. Did I feel out of place sometimes again? Yeah. Yeah. But I had people take me in, you know, being able to go out, play with friends, to be accepted. Um, Another thing that helped me was uh, Bellevue Junior Sports Association. Oh, yeah. Um, BJSA? Yep. Going up there and playing sports inside of there. And then I met the manager and his wife, and they basically took me in. So even times when kids weren't supposed to be in there, they never kicked me out. Love that. I would go up there and be there for hours. And I think over time, he, I don't know if he knew or just figured, hey, he's coming up here a lot. And yeah, we didn't have, there were times where we didn't have a ton of food at home. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I got older, he started allowing me to keep score and stuff and to where he would pay me money. And so me, by not having that much money, I tell my daughters now, um, back in the day, if I got paid money, then I would go home and iron my money. Uh-uh. Um, I would iron it, and I would keep it in a secret spot because it was, uh, if you precious. don't have much, yeah. you take care of stuff. Uh-huh. That's just like my mom taught us. I don't care where you live at. Doesn't mean your place has to, to look crappy mm-hmm. and junky. You still take care of whatever you have. Yeah. See, I love that because I guess I've just only moved when I was little once. And I just always remember thinking how hard it was. Oh, okay. So hard from Lincoln to Bellevue. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. So that's what made me think to ask, like, if you ever wanted to go back. So anyways, dang, ironing money. You always hear people. I've heard people have done that. That's (laughs) huge. So the uh, BJSA that you were talking about, you could walk or, or 
ride a bike or whatever. I mean, that's kind of that was kind of right there in the neighborhood. You probably played right. there, didn't you go up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. Yep. Um, but that was, uh, I think, an important point to make is it's kind of like a neighborhood facility mm-hmm. that was, was it, easy for you to access. Like a YMCA, is that kind of what this was? It's, it's yeah, kind of. It's kind of like that, but it was okay. something that Bellevue put on. Okay. Um, I mean, it's still going today. Mm-hmm. Like, they're it very is. successful. It's, yeah. it's right down from the high school, um, obviously affiliated with the town. Bellevue Junior Sports Association is what it was. Right. Um, and, yeah, no, that's that's cool that that was a place for you to be able to kind of access and, and get into. So from there, um, so that, that became your guys' permanent spot. Mm-hmm. And you went to the middle school down the road that we both went to and then to the high school down the road that we both went to. Mm-hmm. But as you got into your – and, and maybe you'll have some other things that maybe you want to chat about a little bit. But as you got into your into your high school years, um, there were some different things that happened as well, right? Yeah. So still living over there and, you know, going to BJSA and that helping me out and whatnot. But as we got into middle school and still occasionally struggling with money, um, like when I use the terminology hustle, mm-hmm. um, Sometimes people think of that in a bad context because when you think hustling, you might think selling drugs or something Ripping like that. Ripping somebody off. Or, right. Yes. There yep. still is legal hustling. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, even once I got into junior high, I began wintertime. If I knew something was coming up that, hey, I need money for wintertime, I just had a shovel. And I remember actually over by Jeremiah's house, I'd walk up that street and start shoveling people's driveway for money. Um yeah, we were big into, yep, we as they were crappy clothes and, you know, you go to school, you get made fun of. But what made it better was the fact that when I was made fun of, it was the people in my core group that I hung around. So it kind of was, okay, at least we're friends and they're giving me crap, but then I give them crap back. It would have been a lot worse. And I think of people who maybe they're not in the popular crowd yeah, um, or there's some other issues and that people are making fun of them, that it would make them feel horrible. Um, So Mm -hmm. going through a lot of that stuff, and I could admittedly say I used to actually to also help get money. um, One crappy thing that I would do is the dollar store. Mm -hmm. Um, Since it was on the way to school, I would go in there and I would take candy from the dollar store and then bring it into school. And then I would get packs of it and then I'd come to school and then sell it. That oh, way I can have damn. money. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, obviously that not a legal thing to do, and I wouldn't recommend that to, to anybody. But one of those things where as kids you go through stuff, you do stuff that you're not proud of, but you learn from it. You know, uh, I interviewed Willie Robinson, Duck Dynasty. Okay. He has a, oh, yeah. He has the same story. That was his first, like, big money-making venture was when he was in grade school taking candy. He got a box of gum, and he's like, I can't chew all this gum, so he took it to school. And sold it all, and then his wheels started turning. He was hustling ever since then. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, you're just like Willie Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, in high school, I mean, obviously you were always an athlete and came up playing and stuff like that. So when you got into high school, what was what did you spend most of your time doing there? So halfway through my freshman year of high school, so, yep, in high school, I played football, basketball, and track. And, again, just like playing with you guys, that was my outlet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
I loved basketball and thought that would be the thing that I play. And even though, so I didn't actually even plan on playing football until I got, when I got into high school, I didn't plan on playing football any longer. And middle, so my freshman year, um, season had already started for football. I was in English class and our freshman football coach kept asking me to play and I kept telling him, no, I don't feel like it. So finally, he kept asking me and I was pissed. And <laughs> up until then, I thought I had a chip on my shoulder, kind of had a bad attitude. wasn't horrible, but I did have a bad attitude, bad anger issues. And he kept asking me and it, it got annoying to me. And so finally, I was pissed and told him, I'm going to just come out there just so I can shut you up because I was tired of him asking me. <laughs> and so went out to football practice and then um, was watching the quarterback throw. And I'm like, hey, do you care if I try? And they're like, yep. And I threw a pass. And then from that day on, I was a quarterback. And then I stayed with football. And then football ended up being my sport that I played in college and and loved it. But the middle of my freshman year is when we got evicted out of our apartment. And so we end up moving back to North Omaha. Thankfully, my parents kept me going to Bellevue um, because I was supposed to transfer and go to Omaha Central. Uh -huh. Kept me going to Bellevue, so they'd get up, take me every morning, and then pick me up after school, which I appreciate. It was tough because if I didn't have sports or school, I wasn't coming to Bellevue. Mm -hmm. So when I got picked up, there wasn't, hey, yeah, you can – there's an easy way to get back to Bellevue around all your friends because I didn't have, it's not like when I moved to, to Omaha, back to Omaha, I had a ton of friends. I didn't have any. Yeah. So I was just in the house by myself and, well, the apartment we were staying in by myself and, well, with my brother and my family. But that was it until it was time to come back to school. Mm. So to make you want to be at school and at the sports even more? Yeah. Um, I enjoyed school a lot. Um, so, yeah, so actually two things my freshman year. So my brother was two years older than me, and he played football too. So partially because of ride situation and not my parents not being able to or me not wanting them to have to come get me after school and then uh, Friday nights or something, have to come pick my brother up from after football games, I would stay. So. Stay for my football practice and then wait till his is done. And Friday nights, I would stay and go to Coach Level, mm -hmm. um, who he let me start uh, coming to the football games. And I actually, he would give me a pen and paper. And my job on Friday nights as a freshman was to follow him around the sideline. And <laughs> I had to write down every play that he called. And how many yards, either negative or positive, it got, which mm. at the time we sucked, so it was a bunch of negative. <laughs> yeah. But that was my job, and it helped me to learn the plays. Oh. And it gave me a step up, and it also brought me closer to coach level because then I think he started to understand the dynamic of my family. Yeah and what position we were in. So he never shunned me away. He always included me and said, hey, you're welcome to come to anything. 
And I mean, giving you the clipboard like that, that's just typical backup quarterback stuff. Like he was, I, I'm sure in his mind, he was actually doing something there where he's like, let's see if he picks us up. Let's see if he can yeah. stick with it. You know, so like, I bet there's a little bit of a method to his madness there. Mm-hmm. And it worked out. Was you know? that the same coach that would not leave you alone? No. Okay. So so there's a couple coaches a freshman, there that you freshman like. Freshman coach. And yep. The... Freshman coach got me to go out. And okay. yep, I still give him credit to this day. I really didn't have. A ton of contact with Coach Level until I started doing that stuff for the the varsity football the var- team. Okay, okay. So, uh, so that happens. You guys move up north. Um, as you finished your high school, w- were you guys always living up there in North Omaha then until you graduated? Yes. Okay. Yep. Lived in the exact same spot. Um, my senior year, so I wanted to get out of Nebraska. Um, I was dead set on. I wanted to go down south, wanted to go play football at Grambling State University. But my senior year, like, we were still struggling. Um, I took senior pictures but was unable to get them because we didn't have the money. Mm. Um, Mm. Simple stuff, letterman jackets, and uh, didn't have – even when we played basketball my senior year, I was borrowing – shoes from a teammate yeah. every day to, to go play. Um, when we had our warm-ups for basketball, I don't know who did it, if it was the coach or if it was another player um, whose parents paid for me, but I didn't have enough money. Like, there was team shoes I couldn't buy. Um, didn't have enough money to pay for the warm-up, but I think somebody else paid for me or the coach just said, hey, we'll just let them have it. So <clears throat> went through a lot where – Grand scheme of things, when I think back to it, I still made it through, and I don't need all that stuff, Yeah. which, again, made me stronger. But as a kid, it still sucks when you see other friends and acquaintances with this stuff, or they're doing things, or they have cars and can go places and having fun, and you're not necessarily involved and can't do that stuff. And it does affect you. And to me, it didn't sound like you were the kid then really talking about it much or like you said never saying hey i didn't have the food or you probably weren't like hey i don't have a car give me a ride it was just like you dealt with it if someone offered you a ride you you'd take it but you weren't the one seeking it out correct okay yep yeah yeah um i did stuff occasionally like um yeah if a friend hey we're going to a basketball game and i'm already at the school and coordinated it then absolutely um but yeah, I had people that looked out for me, which, yep, I still appreciate those That's people huge. to this day. Yeah. So high school, um, you know, kind of comes to an end. What do you, what What did you, you, you talked about you wanted to go down south and play football. So what actually happened? What did you do? So at the time, again, with us having financial issues, and I didn't have a scholarship to go down south and play. Mm-hmm. UNO football was recruiting me. Um, I didn't want to get down south and not be able to afford it because I didn't know anybody. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you, you'd be screwed. So I just decided, hey, I'm going to stay and go to UNO and play football. Um, it caused an issue between my mother and I because she wanted me to go down south and, mm. hey, nope, get out of here, go do what you want to do. But my parents had the mentality of, hey, just do it. We'll be okay and make it happen. But me, I'm a very 
logical thinker where I'm like, well, no, we barely can pay our rent. Like, I'm no, I'm not going to do it. I'll just stay here. And um, so when I graduated, I end up, I was working full-time construction with my father and still going up to UNO to start my football workouts. So actually, um, one of my best friends, Marcus, that I was talking about earlier, yeah. he had already been up at UNO playing football for a year. So when he was coming, <clears throat> excuse me, he would come pick me up. And uh, between him and then another friend, they'd pick me up and then drop me back off home afterwards. So I'd work construction eight hours a day, get home, go straight to football, three hours, come back home, do it again. So Dang. And you went uh, to school at UNO. Yes. Yep. Went to school at UNO. Um, For folks that don't know, UNO is University of Nebraska at Omaha. So you're sticking around. And and at the time, UNO had a hell of a good football team. Yes. I mean, it was a powerhouse at Division II. They were really Really? good. Really? Okay. See, I don't don't remember that. You know, everyone always talks about UNL and... Huskers and all that stuff. So, okay. Yeah, Yeah. really good football team at the time. So, played for two years. um, Still going through a bunch of stuff with parents. And so, my life really wasn't on track like I wanted it to be. Um, So, I was actually going to college, playing football, and I was working at the time. I start working in Bellevue on the military base, so I'd go to work until late at night. So, again, to me, that was just routine. Hey, you got a goal of where you want to get to. And around that time is when it really started to set in as far as I want better for my life. There you go. I don't want to go through all this. And Mm -hmm. so that's why when I had to do all that stuff, it was no problem to me because I said I have a bigger goal that Mm -hmm. I'm reaching for at the end. So... Probably two years into football. Um, actually, sorry, let me back up because this is kind of leading into why I became a, a cop. Okay. So my senior year, um, our school police officer, uh, Officer Schoonover, he's no longer a police officer. Okay, yep. Um, but he, we probably connected because of sports. Um, and this was high school uh, school resource officer. Correct. Yeah. Our high school school resource officer, we connected because of sports and he was one of the reasons that that made me want to be a cop Hmm. i had been through so much in my life that i felt i could give back to people especially kids because i didn't want them to have to go through the same thing that i went through and i figured that i can relate to them better so kids are more likely to listen to people who they feel you've gone through what i've gone through If kids can see a person that has made it out of a situation, then they are more likely to believe that they can and have hope. Hmm. That's the biggest thing that you can give a kid is is hope. If you get a kid that, let's say, they come from poverty and you get someone who has never been there, they could be telling that kid everything right. But occasionally that kid's not going to listen to them just because they think the kid's like, oh, you know, you haven't never been through poverty. You don't know. You don't know how hard it is to get out. Mm-hmm. You had everything handed to you. So um, it's just one of those things to where I felt I could give back. And so schoon over. We talk to this day occasionally when I we see each gonna other. I was going to say, does he know this? I yep. hope so. Okay. He knows it. Um, yeah, when we see it. And 
<laughs> depending on the setting that I see him in, yeah. like, he'll brag about it. Dude, really? And tell people, yeah, I'm the reason, <laughs> one of the boy. reasons he became a cop. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of the good in, ones. <laughs> he's still in Bellevue, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, spoke with him, gosh, I think just a couple of years ago. Okay. But uh, And he's no longer doing that. He's not okay. a police officer, yeah. Okay. Um, but I never knew that story. But I remembered him from school, obviously. Oh, you can open it. Yeah, yeah. Just, no we crack them all the time in here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, that kind of gave you that early inspiration. And then, as you said, you, you had a couple of years of football at UNO. And then what was the... So I was so focused that even in college, being on a football team, you got 105 people different personalities from all over the country. Mm-hmm. We had people transfer in from big schools, Lincoln, University of Miami, Dang. Can't, like a bunch of schools and parties, drama, a bunch of stuff. I was so focused that I never got into that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm more family oriented. So my people that I went to play with that came with me from high school. <clears throat> okay. I still stayed close to them, but I kind of kept my distance from others, um, even parties in college. I didn't go. Wasn't your thing. It wasn't my thing. Drinking wasn't my thing. If I get someplace and it's a bunch of drinking, I'm like, I didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to be doing the stuff that, that they're doing. And um, plus, I had to work. And so I had seen drinking so much and what it can do. And I'm just about, mm-hmm. hey. I need my priorities straight. Mm-hmm. So a couple years into football, I just decided I'm going to just focus on trying to become a cop. Okay. And which led me to, I just stopped playing football, focused on school, and I ended up taking the police test for Bellevue my senior year. <clears throat> and that's when I ended up getting hired. I went through the interview process and um Even when I interviewed, there was a part of me that thought, am I going to fit in at mm-hmm. this place? Because mm-hmm. majority of the police officers are white. And at the mm-hmm. time, there was only one other black officer. Mm-hmm. And when I went in for my interview, um, as I'm walking in, the person that has taken me in to do the interview asked me how old I was. And I was only 21 years old at the time. And he says... Oh, well, typically we hire people who are 25 and up. So use this as a learning experience and then just come back and apply again. So this is as he's taking me in. Okay. And I'm basically like, well, this is pointless now (laughs) for me to do this. um, I still went in. Uh, I didn't know anything about being a cop. Um, I'm actually in charge of hiring now. And I look at the questions that we ask and I'm like, if somebody doesn't have somebody either to help them out or they may not do well on this stuff. So I didn't know anything. So my thing was just to go in there. I am who I am and I'm a speak from the heart. And if they like me, they like me. If they don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting, getting hired. Um, were you shocked or were you like, Oh, I got this in the bag. Even though after the guy said that, I didn't necessarily think I was going to get hired. Okay. You didn't, I did not. You kind of thought it was an experience thing. Maybe. Correct, especially based off of what he said. Mm -hmm. But when I got the call saying that I'm moving forward in the process, Uh I wasn't shocked. Okay. Because I am not a person where I'm 
when anything happens where it's like, oh, my goodness, this happened. Oh, I am. okay. what's next? What do Mm -hmm. I need to do to keep busting Mm -hmm. my butt to get to where I need to be? So whether the call would have been yes or no, it wouldn't have mattered. The reaction was the same. Mm -hmm. If they would have if you would have not gotten that call or the call would have been, hey, better luck next time you probably would have had the same mentality. You just would have been like, okay, well, what's the next step? What are we doing now? Correct. Because at the time, so this is when my brother and I really became close. Mm -hmm. So my brother went away to the military. He ended up getting stationed back here in Nebraska. So I wasn't a dorm stay at at University of Nebraska at Omaha in the dorms. And there was fights all the time between roommates. And plus I'm anal and picky about stuff being clean. So (laughs) that wasn't me. So my brother, he got stationed back here, and then we moved in together. Oh, fun. And so, yep, I lived lived with him, paid him rent. Um, he took care of me um, as a big brother should. And uh, everything timed out perfectly because I start going through the police process. He asked, so when I got hired and they were going to send me off to police academy in Grand Island, he got orders for the military. We left, it had to be either a week or a few weeks apart where I went to police academy, he left, because if it didn't happen like that, there was no way that I could afford where we were living at. So it timed out perfectly by Mm. me getting this new job. Now I can afford where we were staying. Okay, so I should know this, and I've probably asked your dad this, but what does that process look like when you're like going to the police academy, and how long is this? So it's a little different now. It's different now. per state, too, do you think? Different per state. Okay. It's even different now than when I went through it. So oh. back then it was in Grand Island. Actually, now we have our own local academy. That's about 18, I think it's 20 weeks long. Okay. And, and anyone could show up, say they want to be a cop, well, you and you're, get, you have to run get through this? You have to get accepted to it, right? Two ways. Okay. okay. Well, maybe a little different now, but back then, typically you would get hired by a police department. And then that agency would pay for you to go to police academy. But to get hired, you just had to have a degree or just wanting, like, what did you have to have to get hired? Does that make sense? Like, yes, you had the interview, but what was on your resume to say, I'm qualified to be a cop? So I didn't have a ton. Okay. So I worked. So at the time when I was working on the military base inside the base exchange, yeah, um, I was actually doing loss prevention. So Mm. security, even though it was nothing even comparable to policing, it still showed I had a little bit of experience in that field. You dabbled in it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So with me being in charge of hiring now, I go out and I talk to colleges and I don't even focus on criminal justice students or it's not even always about college because- College, even though I will say education is extremely important, Mm -hmm. but it is not the end-all, be-all. You can have somebody with a doctorate in criminal justice, but I could go pick somebody at Subway that doesn't have a degree, and they may be a better cop than that person with a doctorate. Absolutely. Okay. It comes down to, are you a people person? Um, Do you have a good heart for service? If you have a good heart for service, you're good at communicating with people, and um, you just want to work hard? And you can be trained. I would take that person any day over somebody that just says, hey, I have this education, this education, and this education. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I don't know why in my head I thought there was something, like some degree, something you had 
to even apply right. to say you want to be an officer. Oh, okay. And every agency is different. But this was then. Okay. Even at the time when I was getting on, Bellevue, which is why, um, and the person that made that statement to me, uh-huh. he and I are actually very close. And he doesn't even remember he said it. That's and I great. brought it up to him later <laughs> and he just kind of laughed. But we're very close and it. There's no hard feelings. Yeah. But that's because at the time, Bellevue was looking for, they figured, more mature people. Mm-hmm. Because they figure if you were older, you would be more mature. Or they were looking for prior military or somebody with at least two years uh, uh, associate's degree. Experience, probably. Yes. Just, yeah. So. They're not saying you have to have this, but they prefer okay. people like this. And I felt that I grew up quick in life. And so I felt that I was more mature mm-hmm. and that I was ready for it. Because at that time, when my friends and people were out drinking and smoking and doing other stuff, that wasn't me. Even my best friend to this day, he'll tell you he used to go out and party a lot, but there was time he he wouldn't even ask me because he knew that just wasn't me. Yeah. I'd rather sit at home and watch TV and chill and get ready for the next day. It just yeah, I was just focused. Mhm. So you you got that call back or whatever. And this was your senior or just after your senior year in college or it was during your senior year? Is that what you said? Right before my senior year. Right I just before, earned okay. enough credits to okay. where I was a senior. Okay. And then yep, I got the call got hired by the police department, had to go to the academy. I, at that point, stopped school because it is difficult to go to the academy mm-hmm. and then also go through field training and still try to do school. So went to Grand Island, um, which I didn't mind. I was single at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're there Monday through Friday, and then you come home on the weekend, so you can just be there and focus. Mm-hmm. And it's you're in a dorm atmosphere. So made it through police academy and came back, went through field training. After I got done field training is when I was solo on the street by myself, but then I went back to school. So the department was very supportive of it because I wanted to finish my education, which was more a personal thing. Because again, coming from the environment I came from, when you don't see a ton of people getting formalized education, it was just a personal goal mm-hmm. that, I, that I had. Mm-hmm. So department was very supportive. I was working overnight, I believe either 6 to 6 or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., something like that. And so actually the same person that during my hiring told me that, hey, come back. He was my commander Okay. Um, when I worked nights. And so I enrolled in classes. So one night a week, I actually had a class on the military base. So he would let me... Um, I just wouldn't wear my uniform top and gun and all that stuff. I would go, and he actually would let me take the uh, police cruiser. I'd go on base, uh-huh. go to my class. It was probably two, three hours long. I'd come back out and then go right to work and then work to the morning. Nice. And then I would sleep until 10.30, 11 o'clock, and then I would get up, and then I usually had two or three classes that I would have to go to um, during the day, and then I'd go back to work that night. So wow. I did that for a year. It was stressful, but I end up, well, year, year and a half, but I end up finishing my uh, my degree yeah, doing that. Nice. So let's talk about the job a little bit. So you, when you started, your first assignment was basically like a, a patrolman on night shift. Is that? Yeah. 
Why are they always giving the newbies the bad shifts? (laughs) The night shifts. As a police officer, anybody that is new, I always tell them, you need to go do nights for at least two years. Okay. Nights and days are completely different types of policing. Mm -hmm. Okay. During the day, majority reports, um, because... Typically, the in-progress stuff and crimes, a lot of the stuff, even though it happens in the day occasionally, but a lot of stuff happens at night. Mm-hmm. And then what the report during the day is because people wake up and they find, oh, hey, you know, my car has been broken into or something like that. So a lot of the in-progress stuff and an officer experiencing that stuff and learning how to think on their feet quickly comes from working nights. Gotcha. That makes sense. It's even to this day. A lot of the new officers, some of them get stuck on days because there's a lot of veteran officers that like working nights. They don't like being around the command staff. They just want to go out there and feel they can be free to do their job. Mm -hmm. So they just like working nights. So the new officers will get stuck on days, which to me, I wish they could go to nights because to me it's hindering their progress. Oh, okay. But it kind of is what it is when you have to bid based (coughs) off of seniority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our neighbor works nights, and I'm like, man, you've been with the force long enough. You shouldn't have to work nights. And he's like, oh, yeah. He likes it. That, now yeah. you're kind of, okay, yeah. now yeah. I get it. Yeah. So that was your first assignment was nights in a patrol car. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I did that for approximately two years. Uh-huh. Um, I worked in the same area for a while. Um, I was the bottom of the totem pole. So I really got the area that nobody else wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. But after working in it, I liked it. And, and then, for reference, how big is Bellevue, like um, for the audience? So at the time, Bellevue was probably between forty and 50,000. Right now, Bellevue is approximately 65,000. Is it already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it just took over the second or third largest city. Really? Yeah. Yep. It just, it just overtook in, in Nebraska. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Because, you know, the running joke is uh, Memorial Stadium on Saturdays is the third largest. Mm-hmm. City. Yes. And it still is. It yes. packs in 95,000. But, yeah, for the longest time, it was Grand Island at 40, what, 2,000, something like that. But, yeah, Bellevue just Because in over. my head, I think Bellevue is way smaller than that. Well, like, oh, you can patrol, like, yeah. all of Bellevue, well, you and, know, through the night. Like, I don't know. I like, just think it's so small. But. Yeah, it's really spread out because, like, where Ashley and I lived for, like, 13, 14 years, I w- like, you wouldn't consider that Bellevue over yeah. there, you know, on the west side of Highway 75. But it is. A big portion of that is Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and that's been growing for a long time. So you're yeah. patrolling in the middle of the night, learned a lot. So yes. you did that two, two You said years. two years. <clears throat> two years. Yep. Ready to be done, though, at two? No. Okay. When you come in as a new officer, you're excited. Well, but it's, I mean nights, like done with nights. No. No. Okay. You, you were wanted to. You're excited. You want to be out there working and getting drugs and guns off the street. And I had, you know, just played football shortly prior to that. So I was in the best shape of my life. And I mean, come on. You're still in good shape. <laughs> chasing people down. And it was fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, being able to drive a cruiser fast. Yeah, it was, it was fun. But my mentality from then to now has completely shifted. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, after two years of being working road patrol, learning a lot, um, I the school that we graduated from, mm-hmm. um, the position of school resource officer came open 
an internal position. And actually, I had already started back at the school coaching football. Mm -hmm. So since I wasn't playing Mm -hmm. anymore, I still went back there and start coaching. So then when the school resource officer position came open and it's just a specialty unit within the police department, I put in a, a letter of interest and we do interviews and I end up getting selected for it. So I then went and got to be a, a school resource officer at the same high school I graduated from. So plus I can continue to coach football there, which mm-hmm. I did for, I don't know, 14, 15 years. So that was probably the best time of my career. And how long were you um, resource officer there? So I was the resource officer there for five years. Okay. And I would have stayed, but... Once I hit my seven-year mark of being on the police department, I took the sergeant's test to get promoted. Mm-hmm. So once I got promoted is when I had to come out of the school. So I went back to nights and began supervising. And eventually, I end up being moved to be the supervisor over the school resource officers. Oh, okay. And that's where you are currently? Nope. No. So, oh, okay. It still progresses. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. So I did that until approximately two years ago. Okay. Um, so I loved my time as a school police officer. Uh-huh. And my thought was, well, I'm just not going to go in here and just be a report taker or um, whatnot. It was about building relationships and making a difference. The biggest reason I became a cop was to make a difference in people's life. Also, I knew if you get somebody who hasn't had very many good experiences with cops, or even if they just haven't had, if their perception of police was based off of what they heard around them. Because if we're out in the street and somebody has a bad opinion about a cop, Mm -hmm. there's some that will say, hey, well, I had this experience and this experience, and whether it's true or not, that's their own perception. But a lot of people have a perception because of stuff they heard from somebody else or stuff they've seen. Hey, I've seen this on social media. Or, hey, my friend said that this and this and this happened to him. And what I always tell people, I'm like, well, I have friends myself that have told me stories and then later come find out that they didn't tell me the whole truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I never want to complain about something if I'm not willing to do it myself and try to see how it is. Mm. So I also wanted to be a cop because I'm like, okay, no, I can do this, but I also want to show people that there's good ones. Mm -hmm. And so when I got back to the school um, and became a school resource officer, my first priority was making a connection with the kids. And it was still awkward because a lot of the teachers that were there when I went to school were still there. But it shifted from me looking at them like, hey, what do I do? And it shifted to them looking at me like, hey, well, what are we doing this? Or Uh them, when we were in school, you kind of always wondered about what a teacher's life was like. And then now I'm seeing it firsthand. And I'm seeing teachers where I'm like, oh, my goodness, you got all these problems? Like, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I thought your life was great. Um, You had summers off. I mean, shoot. It's so easy. (laughs) Yeah. So working in the dean's office, actually the dean's secretary who was there when I was a student, she told me that she thought I was too young to be back there because I was 24 years old. She says, you're too young. These kids aren't going to respect you. Ooh, did You're that too give close you to their like age. determination, though, to kind of um, not shift that, but maybe? 
I'm gonna say no, and okay. this is why I say no. I am my biggest critic, and I push myself harder than anybody else is gonna push me. Okay. So. So no, no that didn't phase you. I knew I could do it, okay. so I'm like, uh, whatever. <laughs> okay. So she actually came back and apologized because wow. shortly after, um, she said, "I really thought that." you were too close to these kids' age and that they would just get over on you and you would just be friends with them. But she said, what I've noticed is that you are very nice and you are great at building relationships with them, but you also set a boundary to where they know that if they cross that line that you are going to be on them, mm -hmm. which I was. Um, but in order for me to be able to me to be on them in a certain way, it all came from the relationships I built with them. Because I knew they first have to know that you care. Mm -hmm. And kids can read BS in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. If they thought that I was just in there to do a different, to do a job and didn't care, I, didn't, I felt they wouldn't have had any respect for me. Yeah. The other thing, because I coach football, I didn't want to make it look like, as if I only connected with the athletes. So mm. I'd sit down, I'd eat lunch with the kids. The kids who maybe weren't in the popular crowd that played magic cards and yeah. I'd go up one class, I went to a room and I sat with them and played magic cards. I had no idea how to play and they got a kick out of out of <laughs> out of out of You were the nerd. You were the nerd. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I was the nerd that day. Yeah. Um Yep. Just did a did a ton of different stuff. Yeah. I would go to a lot of the sporting events and like wrestling. I would go be a scorekeeper. And um, sometimes I would still be in uniform, and it was funny because you know how at sporting events, uh, people are yelling at the oh, if they screw shoot. up the clock yeah. or something like that. They yeah. weren't yelling at you. Didn't yell. Yeah. People would look <laughs> as if they were going to yell, and then they would see me in uniform, and then some parents would just start laughing, and they would say it in a joking way. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I just had a great time. I, I took part in the in a. Uh, um, we had a play with the step team where I was an actor in it, and I just did a ton of stuff. Um, I ended up starting a mentoring program where I always like to think outside of the box. I don't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel on everything, mm -hmm. but there's some stuff that I'm like, hey, people have done this before. If I feel I have something that maybe could cover a different base, then I'll go that route. So. I knew there had been a lot of mentoring programs. You know, you got big brothers, big sisters, yes. you have teammates. And I felt, okay, what's missing? Teammates, big brothers, big sisters, that's adults, mentoring. But me knowing that kids listen to people closer to their own age, I then started a mentoring program where I had um, high school students that would mentor younger students. And I tried to set it up to where that mentee when they got into high school, that they would be a freshman and the mentor would at least be there with them for one year. Okay. Mm. I'd set them up for plenty of different reasons. You know, you may have a kid that just wasn't the most studious. Mm -hmm. So I'd set them up with a person that could help them with that. Um, we may have had a person that would be considered, you know, the nerdy type that I'm looking at this kid like, okay, I could see them getting made fun of mm -hmm. in high school, but I don't want them going through that. So I would set them up with a very popular kid like the quarterback of the football team because I knew that that person and their group were going to protect that kid Absolutely. and pull them in. And um, 
started well, started small, got up to about 50 kids in there. Mm-hmm. And that was even me trying to keep it small because parents were saying, hey, can my kid do this? But I was still a cop. I was still coaching football. I didn't have enough time to let it grow too big. Um, we did a bunch of different things. We would have uh, study halls on Sundays. That way we could help the kids get their grades up. Um, we would do community service activities. We'd go to the Open Door Mission. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do a fun activity every month where we'd go to Dave & Buster's or do something like that. Um, so we just gave a bunch of incentives. We'd pull the kids' grades every quarter <clears throat> to, to see their progress. But it also helped the mentors because we laid out expectations for them. Like, hey, these kids are watching you. And you need to keep your grades up. You can't be out doing stuff, drinking, smoking. And if we hear about you doing it, then there's going to be an issue. And so actually when I was coaching football, um, the quarterback of the football team, he came to me and he said, I didn't realize how much of an impact I would have on this kid. He said, but I had only, I've only been mentoring this kid for a week and they were texting. And he said, I noticed that exactly how I text that kid that kid texts me back and uses the same terminology. Mm. So he says, I really have to watch what I do. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to think about as far as mentor programs go, um, how beneficial it is for the mentor themselves. Because yes. you always think about it. It's mm-hmm. like the one, you know, the younger one or whatever that's that we're actually trying to help, but it goes both ways. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as the SRO stuff goes, um, that's something that I want to dig in more to for sure. Uh, but what I want to kind of end this particular episode on is kind of where you're at today as an officer, what your roles and responsibilities are. And I'd like you also to touch a little bit on the story that you and I spoke about that had to do with the uh, – um, not 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 uh, not the riots. What would you call it? The, uh, the the stuff that was surrounding the George Floyd incident. The protest. The, the protest. The protest. That's the word I'm looking some protest. for. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, because that that came to every town in America, mm-hmm. and it was very interesting to me to watch from the outside uh, and seeing what was going on on TV and seeing what was going on on social media. And knowing who you were and seeing where your involvement was in that. So real quick, you're, you've been highly involved in the last few years in, I think, what they would call community policing, right? Yes. That, that would be where kind of your role is. Yes. Yeah. Along so, with, your, with the hiring and those types of things. But. Yep. So where I'm at now, um, so I've been on the police department now going on 20 years. Um, I am in charge of internal affairs, so I deal with all the complaints that come in and yep. investigate those, in charge of hiring, I actually run a mentorship program at the police department, um, in charge of the media stuff, so there's a bunch of other stuff that I did. So when our new chief came to the police department, he's been there for approximately a little over two years, um, he had asked me why I haven't tried to get promoted. And at the time, I said... SRO was my niche. I love doing it, mm-hmm. and I know if I get promoted, A, I'm going back to Knights, which health-wise, I couldn't go back to Knights. So also, plus, I have two daughters, and I said I get to tuck my daughters in to bed every night. Yeah, I'm not giving that up. 
for no promotion. It's not worth it to me. And so um, he did ask if I thought about getting promoted and maybe moving to a different area. So he asked me if I was interested in moving to the position that I'm in now. And it took some thinking. And what kind of moved me to do it was thinking bigger picture. I knew I was having an impact on kids' lives. But then I thought if I could also have an impact on the lives of the officers and who we hire and I get to help select who's coming in our doors because that is better going to shape how we police Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and our community. So I chose to do it with, he promised me that I could still stay involved with the school police officers, which I had been doing. Um, So I ended up taking the promotional test and I got promoted to lieutenant where I'm at now. And I am now the commander over the school police officers. So me still doing the school stuff. Um, and so I'm going to jump to this and then jump to your question. Yeah. By building so many relationships, <clears throat> by being a school resource officer, I a lot of students who were on the wrong side of the law. Mm-hmm. I got along with them. So when the George Floyd, Floyd stuff happened, tough time for police officers. It still is. Um, I'm not a big talker. I'm not, I don't like really doing public stuff and media stuff and whatnot. But me being a black officer and also being from that environment and now being a cop, I said, who else better I felt I kind of had a duty to help mend the two sides yes. because I said, you really have two sides that don't know about what the other's going through. And I think if both sides tried to understand each other a little more, it would be better. So when the George Floyd stuff started happening, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, why are we standing across from each other? If we both think that something that happened is wrong and one thing, though, that did irritate me was the fact that as a black man coming from where I came from, I said, it is completely unfair if somebody looks at me and say, because you're black, that you're a thug. You don't group all people together. Yeah, there's some black thugs, but there's white thugs, Hispanic thugs. Mm-hmm. And so it's unfair to do that to people. You can't generalize stuff. So then when the George Floyd stuff happened and people were talking about cops and all cops, and I'm like, just like as a black person, I don't want people to generalize me with somebody bad. Okay, now that I'm a cop, don't do that to me. Yes. So actually when the protest got out of hand and turned into riots in Omaha, one guy that I knew, he actually was up there, and he ended up getting arrested. So his whole family, not his immediate family, on the wrong, wrong side of the law. But we had built such a good relationship when I was a school resource officer that he called me Wow! after he got arrested. Okay. And I told him, hey, come meet me. So he drove to Bellevue. We sat in my cruiser for probably three hours talking. And... If it was another cop, since he doesn't really like police, he probably wouldn't have listened to him. Yeah. But we had a good enough relationship that he explained to me what happened. I told him, 
I feel you did this, this and this wrong. And then but on the flip side, if you feel that somebody else did this wrong, meaning the police, then you need to take steps to try to get it addressed, which means go file a complaint. Yes. He's like, all right, cool. I got you. So he went and did whatever he he was going to do. So then we caught word that um, some people who were protesting and rioting and stuff were like, hey, after we get done in Omaha, let's go to Bellevue. There was people actually that went on social media that said, no, don't go to Bellevue because those cops don't mess around. Which <laughs> we like having that perception. Yeah. Um, so we got wind that another protest was supposed to be that a protest was supposed to be coming to Bellevue. And I reached out to our acting chief at the time. I'm like, hey, what are you guys going to do about this? Yeah. And he was like, Howard, I'm actually in a meeting now talking about it. What do you think? I said, that's when I told him, I said, well, I get if something gets out of hand, but why initially are we lining up in front of these people as if it's them versus us? Yeah, like a standoff. Yeah. yeah. I right. said, if we all feel that something's wrong, then why are we standing across from each mm-hmm. other? So I said, yeah, there might be differences and whatnot and we may not all agree on the same thing but the one thing that we do agree on is the fact that we want a better relationship and that we feel that what triggered this was wrong Mm -hmm. so if we stand together to just show unity this should be about coming together so he says okay well, what do you want to do i said how about we just not be against them and no we're standing together against stuff like this so I asked, so he starts giving me information about the protest, and the leader of it ended up being a kid I coached in football. So oh. when he tells me the name, I'm like, I coached him. I said, hey, I'll call and talk to him. So he's like, all right, just call us back and let us know what you want to do. So I called the leader of the protest, and he's like, oh, Coach Banks. And so we start talking. <laughs> I told him my plan and like, hey, I would like for us to stand together. And I said, how about we come together, we show unity, and that way, if we're showing that we're standing together on something, then anybody else that's coming that has, um, that wants to start something negative or whatnot, they're going to realize that this isn't that type of event. So uh, the person I coached was like, absolutely, that's what I want. So the guy that had reached out to me that got arrested, I called him. And I said, hey, I need a favor. He's like, anything you need, I got you. I said, this is the event that we're going to do. We're standing together to show unity. I need you to come down and be a part of it. He's like, yep, I'll be there. So we got there. We circled up, said a prayer. And again, I didn't look at the fact of if there was anybody in this group that they may have thought differently than I I don't care. Yeah. We at least had somewhat of a small common goal. We let them safeguard them, let them walk, say whatever they were going to say. But then also it gave us a time to where when we were standing on the corner, we interacted with them Mm -hmm. and we could talk about different issues. And it wasn't, hey, them versus us. And there was actually a person with a machete that got out of a car Mm. across the street and then that got out and they just looked over and we seen them. And he got back in his car and left. So, <laughs> so you did your job. Like yeah. that's exactly what you were. 
yes. want planning to do. And then from Show there, yeah. we had a yeah. – sorry. You didn't even have to diffuse it because it was controlled. Everybody was on the same page. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And from there, they kind of put me in charge of any protests that came into Bellevue. We had another one that they were planning at a big intersection that I called them in and we met and got them to move from that intersection because I said, hey, you got people that oppose you mm-hmm. and – I don't want somebody to put y'all in danger or anybody else. I don't want somebody getting hit. And we shifted it from a protest to a unity rally to where we end up holding it at a location, had dunk tanks, um, music, food catered, face painting. So it was more of a community event to bring people together. This is, uh, and and that's the point why I want you to tell that story, because this is what I love about what we do here, because all the only thing you heard on national media was how criminal everything was going on and buildings getting burned and, you know, cops uh, inciting things with people and being aggressive and all, all this kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. this is all you were hearing. What we like to do is we like to talk about the common folk, common sense stuff that actually goes on on the ground. And when you tell that story, man, it's like, it's it's a it's a completely different story than yeah. what people were hearing, and that's a story that didn't get picked up by national media. Right, and that picture yeah. was more powerful, or just as powerful, you know, depending on how you want to spin it, uh, than the standoffs you're talking about, where there's a line of cops and their gear on, and then you know guys yeah. across the street, you know, like we could we could have circulated a different picture, you know, yeah. the yeah. face painting. Oh my God, yeah. you know, it got to such a level as a community event. Yeah, you, you had you had police officers supporting. Uh, our right to protest, mm-hmm. but making sure that everything was staying safe. Not only were right. the was the general public safe, but the protesters themselves were safe, yeah. and people were able to do it in a healthy way. Yeah. And and it actually built bonds. Yeah, you know where a protest is out there, like you think it's kind of a negative thing, like oh we want something changed, you know all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and it gets turned into a scenario where relationships are actually being built yeah it's beautiful Correct. it's huge man and if you don't mind i want to go to a back to a question that you asked but i didn't answer yeah um talking about the process of of hiring yeah and what you have to go through what people don't realize and the whole purpose of this is humanizing police right police is it's different than other jobs but it's still you're human mm-hmm. anytime you have humans in something you're going to get human reactions and humans aren't perfect and there's a small percentage of bad in every profession. Sure. And as a police officer, we don't want bad in our profession. I was, I was, you know, I don't know if I can, sorry, if I don't want to offend or use any. I was, 100%, man. I was pissed think. off when the yeah. George Floyd incident happened because, yeah. A, this person, I don't care what they did in their life, if somebody doesn't deserve to be in uh-huh. that position and, and die. Um, I was pissed because when people start turning on law enforcement, I had been doing it for so long and done so much that I wasn't looking for accolades. I don't like any of my stuff being out there about what I do. Mm -hmm. I just like doing it. But it was like that incident had people, I felt it completely wiped away what I had done. Because mm-hmm. all people seen was just the uniform mm. and you're a cop. Yeah, well, you got and put you're in a bad. box. Yep. Yeah. Yep. To where I'm like, I've done more stuff than probably the average person. Yeah. And 
you don't know me, so how are you judging me and yep, and grouping me in and putting mm-hmm. me into this box? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was pissed. Um, I bet. I was pissed at the officer because he did a lot of damage um, to a lot of officers all over the country, along with other officers that are out there doing bad stuff. But still, it's a small percentage. And it sucks because it's hard to pick. You can't determine who's going to necessarily be good or bad. And when I go out and I talk to colleges and I tell them all the stuff that we go through, which, hey, yes, you have to do an interview, take a test, but you also do a lie detector test, um, a psychological evaluation, a medical evaluation. You do backgrounds. You try to get to know as much about this police applicant as possible Mm -hmm. prior to hiring them. But you don't find out everything. Mm -hmm. And so when you bring somebody in for an interview, all of them say the same thing. Hey, why do you want to be a cop? Oh, because I want to help people. Yeah. That sounds good, but realistically, is it the truth for everybody? No. And so when I'm talking to colleges and I speak to a lot of the females and I'm like, okay, hey, if a guy's trying to hook up with you, what do they say? Oh, he's going to take me to dinner and he's nice and mm-hmm. does all this stuff. And I said, okay. And then how long does it usually take some of them to change? Well, yeah. some change quicker than others. And then, <laughs> then you see the real side of that person. Yeah. And I said, this is no different than policing. And it sucks that typically in policing, you have to wait till a big incident happens in order to be able to fire somebody. And people don't see a lot of the internal stuff. People think that, oh, hey, cops are going to back each other Mm -hmm. no matter what and um, whatnot. And legally, with unions and uh, and whatnot, if people if officers are paying union dues, then the union has to provide them legal representation. So the union just can't come out and say, hey, we want that we can't stand this person or whatever and they suck it's they have to get legal representation but mm-hmm. believe me there's a lot of conversations behind the scene to where the union is telling that officer hey we don't like you your ass needs to quit or be fired but we legally have to represent you but mm-hmm. we don't want to mm-hmm. okay um because if they don't then they're going to be sued um, so there is a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And trust me, we do not back bad cops. Yeah. yeah. And, and when it comes to one unfair thing that I think um, is when it comes to complaints, um, you know, I think the general public, you know, if they see an officer that has, hey, this officer has 10 complaints. Well, why are they a cop any longer? They should have been fired. Well, first, it's not that easy yeah. to just fire somebody. Second, just because somebody has 10 complaints doesn't mean that all of those complaints were sustained. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I probably, to take a guess, might have, I don't know, 10, 11 complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, only one has been sustained. And the one that I did wasn't any crazy stuff where I, you know, used excessive force or anything else like that. It right. was something stupid I did earlier on in my career. But if somebody was to look at my stuff... And said, oh, he has 11 complaints. Oh, well, he shouldn't be a cop. Well, if I've been a cop for almost 20 years, that's less than one complaint a year. Yeah. I mean, that's really good. And as a cop, sorry, I'll make this last yeah, point 100%, here. Go ahead. Yep. As a police officer, you are typically responding and talking to people for something negative mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. So God. 
like, in, for instance, you two, if I responded to your house and you two had some sort of dispute, I'm either going to get there and agree with one mm-hmm. or neither. Yeah. So the chances of me <laughs> pissing one of you off or both is highly likely. Yeah, yeah and I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna write you out. I'm yeah, gonna, you're gonna get, you're gonna yep. get a complaint from me. You're yes, putting, that would be easy. I didn't think those, about yeah. it like that. He's putting a spot where he's either getting <laughs> one complaint or two complaints. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and that and that's what I was about to say before you made that point. So I'm glad you made that point. Is you know when people think about it, like I've I've been pulled over before. We've all been pulled over before. You know I'm going. 55 and a 45 and it's a construction zone or whatever and mm-hmm. i just re- really didn't realize it and i'm cruising down the road and and i get pulled over and i first thing i think is like this guy has so much better stuff to do than pull me over you know like i didn't do anything wrong like yeah, this yeah. is just what immediately comes to your head yes and then a lot of people could take that to the next level and call in and write a complaint and oh he he was just sitting over that hill just waiting for me mm-hmm. like Correct. you know like all these kinds of things and that's what people have to realize is like there's a lot of dumb complaints like that Correct there's a lot of stuff so I would say probably to be on the safe side I'd say 90% or possibly more of the complaints are inaccurate mm-hmm. yeah and some for different wow. reasons I wow. would say a small percentage is people just don't like the cops and they are intentionally trying to get them in trouble. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger percentage is a matter of perception. When you bring stress into something, into a situation, mm. so you per- you may perceive things one way and then that wasn't actually what happened. Yes. That's why me being in charge of internal affairs, I love body cameras um because it's going to show the body camera isn't going to lie good thing ain't lying yep yeah. yep so when i get these complaints and go back and look at a body camera there's been plenty of times where somebody calls in and says hey this officer did this or this was said and i watch it and i'm like this never happened yeah and then i call the people back and again i'm not being jerks to them about it but because they may have just been stressed and perceived something a different way mm-hmm. so another thing that i do with the internal affairs stuff is education you know when we talk about p- things that people feel are minor violations, um, I actually just had somebody contact me because um, they were pulled over because they were honking at somebody. Mm. And the officer, technically, you're not supposed to use your horn unless it's an emergency circumstance. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This person didn't know that, and but still thought it was petty. And I said, yes, too many. They may think it's a, a small, minor thing. But I said, think bigger picture. We have seen so many incidents where small, petty stuff has turned had turned big mm-hmm. and had some major consequences mm-hmm. to where you think, hey, you honk at somebody, then they're getting out with road rage yeah. and either fighting or pull a gun or something like that. Um, hey, I got stopped because I didn't use my turn signal. This officer doesn't have anything better to do mm-hmm. but stop people for this. Well... Sorry, but two years ago, I had a situation to where I'm just speaking in general now. um, Hey, you might have had a cop that's been in a situation to where they had somebody die because somebody didn't do a simple use a turn signal Mm -hmm. or or something like that. And then Mm -hmm. it caused a major accident. And so you just see stuff that may shape why you do stuff. Officers have their niches. And, um, you know, you think if you see uh, a, a DUI and they killed somebody then after you see some stuff like that in your mind you may be thinking 
I don't want to see this happen again. So mm-hmm. my big thing is I'm going to try to get drunks off the street or mm-hmm. people without insurance or people that are speeding or mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. Huh. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Man, so we've gone through a lot of stuff. There's uh, there's another, again, like I said, the uh, school resource topic that I want to go through, um, but that's for another episode. Um what else? Anything else you, as far as, you know, policing goes and humanizing the badge and that kind of thing that you wish we would have asked? Um, there's a lot of misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. I think, again, when I say the two sides, um, that I even, even prior to me becoming a police officer, I don't think I knew. Um, simple stuff. I get complaints where, hey... Uh, I had one complaint. Four officers, you know, came to the traffic stop. You know, I'm not dangerous and whatnot, um, so why would it take four officers to come there? So after looking into it, it was simple. So first thing that people don't understand, traffic stops are one of the most dangerous things you can do as, a, mm-hmm. as an officer. You don't know who you're stopping. Yeah. Um, you think even if you're going out of town on the interstate, people drug trafficking, People want it for murder or other serious crimes that haven't been caught. And so you don't know who you're running into. And there are people that that flat out state, hey, next cop that stops me, I'm killing. Yeah. So that's one of the most dangerous things you can do. So when we stop a car first, as a police officer, I don't we don't all get along, but I don't care if I get along with them. Don't if I hear somebody calling out a traffic stop, I'm automatically headed that way because I want to make sure that they're okay. And that's no different than any other human. You know, when I mm-hmm. talk to these kids, I'm like, hey, if you got challenged to a fight and they said, meet me at a park, I said, would you go by yourself? And they're like, no. I said, well, why not? Well, because I don't know who they're bringing. They could get jumped. They could have yeah. a weapon. Yeah. I said, it's no different being a police officer. You know, you bring a friend, bring your Buddy. friend. Numbers yeah. are better. Yep. Um, yep. The more numbers, yep. yep, the less likely people are, are going to try to do something. But in this particular incident where this person had been stopped, it was actually simple. Uh, one cop was in training and had their training officer with them. So when you're in training, you still have to act and do stuff like if you're solo. So um, if they notice something out of the ordinary or think, hey, this may be suspicious, you need to call for a second unit. So the officer called for a second unit like they were supposed to. The second unit, that officer was also in training mm. and oh. had a training officer. So <laughs> then you get four police officers. Mm. So on our end, they did what they were supposed to do. But on the other end, they felt, hey, it's only me. I'm not a threat. Yeah. So both sides have to be understanding. The person driving the car, the citizen has to understand, like, hey, they don't know you. They don't know that you're necessarily not a threat mm-hmm. or whatnot. They're just yeah. stopping you. Um, but then on the flip side, you don't understand why they're doing the things that they're doing. And they had no clue that, hey, these people were in training. And so. I could see. Yeah, I could see that both ways. Man, I get pulled over and boom, and five minutes, there's four cops. I'm like, what the yeah. hell? Like, re- I haven't done anything. <laughs> and it's really pretty basic. You know, when you play it out like that, when you think about it, it's anything in life. It's the golden rule, right? You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. Yep. Yep. Do unto others the way you want done unto you. 
you know, that individual that gets pulled over and, and, and doesn't like the situation or whatever else, just think about it. You know, mm-hmm. think about it with an open mind. Yeah. Because there's things going on that you don't understand. Yeah. yeah correct. And it's the same thing for the police officer. There's things going on with that individual that you are, you know, having uh, a, a, a touch with that are going on that you don't know about. Correct. Treat them the way you want to be treated. And uh, really, when it comes down to it, that's all we need to know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then oh. it kind of fixes oh, wow. things. Treat yeah. people like people. Oh. Yeah. And that's wow. on both sides. 100%. And that's on the officer side, too. Yes. Is it sucks dealing with people all the time in a negative light. And that can put you in a certain mood. Yeah. But you have to realize that, yeah, just because you interact with somebody else, you can't take that out on them. Mm-hmm. And you officers need to check their attitudes, treat people nice, but it goes back. It's it's back. It's two-sided. Yeah. And um, we're still human. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember one call I went on to where I we got called. Family found this, uh, this guy not breathing. So it was the wife, kids. I get there, do CPR, and I tell people, if you've never done CPR and only done it on a dummy, two completely different oh, yeah. things. When you can hear ribs yeah. crack in and the family's running around hysterical behind me and you're trying to save this person because that's their loved one. And the guy ended up dying. But when I got out of the, the house afterwards, it's not, I just had a guy die on me and it isn't, hey, I'm going to go home and chill. It's no, you do a report and you go on to the next call. And so the next call after that I had gone on was a person complaining that their neighbor had been parked facing the wrong direction. And so when I got there, you could see it on my face. Like this is pointless. Come on now. Your perspective. Yeah. And they thought I was probably the biggest ass ever. Probably. But. Right. Someone just died. Yeah. Correct. But yes. they don't know that. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why we really need to, if I stop somebody and they have an attitude, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So I have to be mindful of that mm-hmm. and realize, or they may just not like cops. Yeah. Because we shouldn't generalize, but again, human nature, people do. Mm-hmm. If somebody yeah. gets stopped by four cops and all four cops have been jerks to them, their perception of police isn't going to be too good. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to understand that. Yeah. And then hopefully maybe I'm the one that can kind of change that because I give them some grace. Yep. Yep. Like, hey, sorry, your interactions with those police officers have been bad. That's not me. You know, I'm going to treat you with respect. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. What else? You guys got any questions? No, I was just going to poke fun at, I think, another thing that might skew uh, our perception of cops is watching too many Spike Lee movies. <laughs> you know. Do you, speaking of that, we talk about movies here and there. Do you like cop movies or is it weird to you? Can't stand them. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say all movies. I don't mind some cop movies, but I don't watch cops. I don't like watching yeah. really police shows. Yes. Um, I want to turn it off. So when I'm outside of work, if I can, given my job now, I can't as much. Um, because I have to either be by my phone if somebody calls or whatever, but I don't like watching cop shows. I don't like talking about 
police stuff and telling stories. Like you do and, it enough. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, it's work. Leave it at work. It shouldn't be entertainment, you know. But yes, yeah. Yeah. I like keeping it separate. So you're yeah. not coming home sharing like a bunch of stories. I mean, how is that interaction with you and your wife? Does she ask? Any questions? Does she want to know tons? Um, she used to. Okay. But it took some time. Yeah. And she understands me to where if I'm involved in something and I know it's going to be on the news, I want to tell her prior to her seeing it on the news. But outside of that, we really don't talk about it. Yeah. 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 I can respect yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it's a totally different level, but him being on the um, fire rescue out here there's many times i just i don't even ask i don't want to know he just respectfully had heading to a call going to a fire call you know just a text like but some once in a while i'll ask and you know i don't know so it's it's just interesting how some people want i mean i feel like though i remember being younger and our kids being younger and wanting to ask his dad mm -hmm. a bunch of oh mm -hmm. so wouldn't you do this did you did you chase this person down you know because they want to hear the stories and i remember thinking i wanted to too but now being in it in a different sense i don't ask a ton of questions just you know respectfully knowing you guys are going through it um but do you get your kids asking stuff or no, not really they don't really ask okay. a ton okay um, occasionally I'll share something. Okay. Mainly as a learning experience to tell them stories. Yes. Cause I'm very open with my girls and don't want to hide stuff from uh -huh. them. Um, so I'll tell them some stuff as a learning experience, but, um, yeah, we don't talk about a ton of stuff. I don't want them thinking, Oh, because my dad's a cop that, you know, you're going to be able to get out of stuff mm -hmm. because I would turn them in. Like, if they're doing something wrong, drugs or whatever, like, no, we're not having that in this house. Um, so you need to go out. You need to be well-behaved, respectful of all, but also you need to make your own life. And you're not going to be using me to say, oh, my dad's this, and so I can do this that I want. No, it's and not happening. And my last name is this. or yep. yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Just yep. like my parents taught me, when you walk out of this house, you're a reflection of us and what you do. Um, is going to either negatively or positively impact us. And that's important. Mm -hmm. And you better carry it and, and act like you got some sense. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah, 100%. There you go. Man, I really appreciate it. This was, uh, you know, everything that I hoped it would be in terms of the story that we're telling to folks, the perspective they're getting, the background, the, like I said, the humanizing the badge, I didn't invent that. There's people out there doing that, and we're just trying to do our part as well. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you so much, man. Thank you for coming. Thank you for everything that you do. This has been very uh, entertaining and enlightening. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you having me. This yeah, is great. Man. This is a good one. Yep. Yep. Anything right. else, guys? No. Nah. Okay. All right. Lieutenant Howard Banks, we appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Thank yes. you. We're going to close it out. All right. All right. Peace. All right. Later.